0: Well, amen to that, and good morning, everybody. Um, Good to see you. My name's Nelson. My uh, my daughter, Adriana, really, really wanted me to wear a tie this morning, so that's happening. And uh, it actually seemed appropriate when I think about, you know, Christmas, Easter, those are some other times, some high points of the church year, and Pentecost doesn't always get the airtime uh that those other two holidays too so maybe out of respect for that and yeah good to be with you in this time unfortunately we're not in the same space uh, but at least we can be together in this way and before we get into the sermon for this morning i want to take a moment to briefly introduce danny unrau um, danny's going to be spending some time with us in these next weeks and months and. Uh, While most of you don't know him, Danny's been connected to Artisan almost since it began over 10 years ago. In our very earliest days, we had a lead team that consisted of some trusted voices with leadership experience from outside our community, and over that time, the team became more internal. And Danny was part of our lead team for its very first years, and we slowly brought on more people from within our own church family. Um, Danny's uh, pastored pastored a number of churches uh, over the years, his his last one being uh, Fraser View MB Church in Richmond, where he served for I think 18 years. And in this time of transition then, when we're without a lead pastor, Danny has graciously agreed to give us about 8 to 12 hours a week to assist our lead team in its many layers of work to help pastor us as pastors uh to connect with you as our wider community as time permits and hopefully to do a bit of preaching and teaching there's a lot i appreciate about danny Uh, he's wise and winsome he's a good listener he is a caring soul he is unafraid of conflict most of the time he loves jesus deeply And even though he's technically retired, he has this relentless affection for Artisan Church, and he's intrigued by the conversations we're having, he's intrigued by how we're having them, and he just couldn't bring himself to say no to the opportunity to join us for a time. So welcome, Danny, it's really good to have you with us and uh, look forward to having more of you interact with him uh, as life allows. Okay friends, so our church calendar <clears throat> has already been um, mentioned this morning, but our church calendar is telling us we're in a hinge moment. It is the last Sunday in Eastertide, and as we've already been hinting through our worship this morning, there's something especially peculiar about today. And in the grand tradition, it's simply known as Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is not a word that comes up in the wider culture all that often. Um, And as Scott became the sharer of the screen, I can no longer see my notes. (laughs) So I need to make sure that I can rejig that. So that's fine. You can try that again. I'm just trying to um, make sure I can see enough here. How do I resize my screen now that you do the screen share, Scott? Sorry I have to do this in real time. I don't know how because now I can't see my notes. This didn't happen last time. Yeah, maybe minimize your Zoom. What yeah. that? Minimize your Zoom window. Like minimize it entirely? Yeah. Okay, try that again. Yeah, I don't see your screen, but I'll just keep going. Sure. Trust that it's happening. So, um, pardon uh, the technical glitches. They will happen. Um, I was mentioning Pentecost is not a word that comes up in the wider culture very often. It, it doesn't really get pinned to the top of our feeds like Christmas and Easter do. But even so, most of us know Pentecost is kind of a big deal. We know it has something to do with the Holy Spirit. We know that some weird stuff went down in Acts chapter 2. Um, not many of us know that there was an amazing Christian band in the early '70s who were presumably so into Pentecost that they chose to name themselves Second Chapter of Acts. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so intrigued by that. Maybe it's just that there are no other bands like. There's not a band called First Corinthians 13, uh, or if there was, we don't know about them. But Second Chapter of Acts lives on. Most of us know something about what Pentecost is. We have some idea of what went down, but I'm not sure many of us have a sense um, Of or whether we could articulate why it matters. And I want to suggest this morning that given what we've been experiencing over the past couple of months. And more particularly the events of the past couple of weeks in the states that Pentecost matters now more than ever. Have a listen to this quote from Ron Rollheiser. Every generation needs to experience Pentecost for itself. It needs God's Spirit, and it needs it in its own particular way. Indeed, Scripture assures us that the Holy Spirit is not a generic force, one-size-fits-all, but a person, a relationship, a Spirit that has particular manifestations and gives itself to each of us uniquely, so that the understanding and strength that we receive are geared to help us in our own particular struggles. If this is true, if Pentecost is so differentiating, an important question arises. Where in life today do we most need the Holy Spirit to transform us? What are our peculiar spiritual disabilities? These are big important questions. And so I want to ask for God's help as we hold them together this morning. So will you pray with me. God, uh, Father, Son, Spirit, I'm aware this morning that what we don't need is another Pentecost. Our scriptures tell us that your spirit has been already poured out into the world lavishly generously indiscriminately but we do need to experience pentecost in a fresh way so we ask for your help today uh, to that end that we would see you and receive you and allow you to flow through our voices our imaginations our very flesh for we ask this in the name of jesus whose spirit is filling the world with divine life and breath even now amen So to get us going today, I'm going to read a short section of the Pentecost story. If you do have a Bible handy or an app, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verses 14 to 21, just a short section. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Now I'm aware that we're sort of jumping in at the middle of the story, so I'm going to back up a bit and get the context. So first of all, where is this taking place? We're in the city of Jerusalem, we're in a room within a house somewhere within the city. Uh, who is present, at least initially? Well, basically all of the earliest followers of Jesus. Chapter 2 verse 1 says they were all together in one place, not social distancing. Then a bit later, after the sound of a violent wind rushed through the house, after they saw what seemed like tongues of fire resting on each of them, and after they were said to be filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, a crowd formed. So first, it's just the early believers, and then it expands out as the story progresses, and there's a crowd forming. When is this happening? Verse 1 again, the day of... Pentecost. What did that mean? Originally it's the middle of the three annual Jewish festival uh, harvest festivals. It had a bunch of names. So it was either called the Feast of Harvest for obvious reasons, or the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of Pentecost because it took place seven weeks or 50 days, penta meaning 50, after Passover, which is when grain harvesting began. Now, there was also some later symbolism that got attached to Pentecost regarding the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, which apparently happened 50 days after the Exodus. But Luke doesn't draw attention to this, so we won't either. So when the crowd formed in response to what was taking place in Jerusalem, the most significant phenomena was that this crowd consisted of, as verse 5 puts it, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven and each was hearing their own language being spoken. Luke tells us that most of them were amazed and perplexed, wondering what all this was about, but that also there were some who weren't having it, they just assumed that these early believers were having cocktails for breakfast. So that is the gist of what's going on when Peter stands up and launches into this explanation which begins with the words of the prophet Joel. Now I want to anchor down in verse 17 for the remainder of our time, which says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. So we're going to break it down phrase by phrase, and while we do, let's keep Rollheiser's question in mind. Where in life today do we most need the Holy Spirit to transform us? So, in the first phrase, it says, in the last days, God says. So what does this mean in the last days? In biblical terms, this was a general phrase, meaning a time to come. The time when promises would be delivered upon. The time when the story would arrive at its high point. The time when the journey would reach its destination, and a whole bunch of new things would start to happen. So Peter wasn't only offering an explanation. He was issuing a challenge. He was saying, you guys, we're here. We've arrived. The journey is over. And what you're seeing right now are signs of the destination we've been waiting for generations to see. So it's time to have a fresh look around and notice where we are. So in other words, Peter begins his speech by revealing the time these early Christ followers saw themselves living in. It was a time between the moment when the last days had been launched and the moment when with Jesus final reappearing, heaven and earth would be joined together in the coming renewal of all things. So friends, we're still in that time. We are living in the last days. So it's time to have a fresh look around and notice where we are. What did God say God would do in those days? The next phrase, I will pour out my spirit. Now, some of us might be thinking, wait, didn't that already happen? Like, this isn't the first mention of the Spirit in Scripture, and if we look at our Bibles, like, we're, we're kind of close to the end here. Um, well, sort of. The, the Spirit in one sense has been on the scene since the very beginning, and I don't just mean on the scene in some vague and nebulous, observant from a distance sense, but active on it. The brief survey here then, Genesis 1, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters of creation. So where there had been chaos and emptiness, we see the Spirit bringing light and fullness. Ezekiel 37, the prophet is led by the Spirit into the middle of a vast graveyard to say to the valley filled with bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Where there was only death and no hope, we see the Spirit of God bringing life and a new future. Likewise, the psalmist. This is a section from the psalm that we already heard Alexia read for us this morning. Psalm 104 from 27 to 30, and I want to offer it to us in the message translation. It says there, All the creatures look expectantly to you to give them their meals on time. You come and they gather around. You open your hand and they eat from it. If you turned your back, they'd die in a minute. Take back your spirit and they die, revert to original mud. Send out your spirit and they spring to life. The whole countryside in bloom and blossom. So, where there is need and there's starvation, we see God's Spirit sustaining and renewing all things. There are other instances as well. Did you know, for example, that the first people in Scripture that were said to be filled with the Spirit were artists? It's true. Their names were Bezalel and Oholiab. Their story is in Exodus 35 near the end of the chapter, if you want to check it out. so. The Spirit has already, in one sense, been given. What Peter's doing now is connecting the events of Acts 2 to the promise of Joel that a time was coming when God would pour out the Spirit in a new way and that that time had now arrived. So up to that moment, God had indeed been present and active through the Spirit, but mostly it had been through inspiring one person here and another there kings prophets priests artists women and men who enjoyed some kind of special relationship to god but now an explosion of divine energy had been released into the world because of the death and resurrection of jesus and god's spirit was now being poured out as promised on a lot of people at the same time let's sit with that image of poured out For a few moments. What comes to mind when you read the words poured out? Is it the careful, delicate pouring of a latte at your favorite coffee shop? You know, with all the the fancy latte art on top. Are we thinking of the beautiful sound of wine being poured into a glass? Just love that sound. Taking extra caution not to spill any. Or when you think of poured out, do you picture a mom Painstakingly trying to divide a tetra box of apple juice between her two kids, making sure it's as even as possible so as to avoid any conflict. I am not sure any of these images as nice as they are is consistent with say a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. What if by poured out we ought to be picturing something more like this right over there. want to suggest, friends, that the image in Acts 2 is not a drizzle. It's not even a passing shower. It's a tropical rainstorm. It's a downpour. Niagara Falls. So we could say it this way. Before Pentecost, the experience of God's Spirit in the world was rare and sporadic and exclusive. After Pentecost, it has become A downpour something generous and continuous and universal which brings us to the last part of verse 17 on all people other translations say all flesh so really God says I will pour out my spirit on all flesh for most of my life I've assumed this meant Christian flesh. But that's not what the text says. It says all. The verses that follow spell out more of what this means. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, no distinction with regard to gender. Your young men and your old men, no distinction with regard to age. Even on my servants, both men and women, no distinction with regard to class. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. We still got a ways to go here. But for those of you who like summaries, here's a summary of my sermon in three sentences. We're living in the last days. God said it would be a downpour. And the text says all flesh. And remember the question posed by Rollheiser earlier about needing Pentecost to be customized to each generation. My question is this, what if an authentic, consistent, intentional embrace of the all flesh dynamic of this text is the place where we most need the Holy Spirit to transform us? What if that's the way Our generation needs to experience Pentecost for itself. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now, the state of the world, one could argue, says something different. It tells a different story. There's room for doubt here. When you consider the injustice, you consider the ignorance, the intolerance, the sheer hatefulness we are capable of, it's hard to assert that all people have been infused with a measure of divine breath, with the common grace of God's Spirit. But even in spite of the pain, and the fear and the violence that pervades the landscape, one of the ways we see lingering evidence of the downpour of the Spirit is in the resistance that says, in the words of Andre Henry, for example, that a new world is possible. It doesn't have to be this way. One of the ways I see you as a community actively joining the resistance, resistance is through grieving. Man, it's been a heavy couple weeks. I'm gonna put up a few pictures which hopefully you'll recognize. And if you'd like, I invite you to just repeat their names after me. We grieve for George Floyd. We grieve for Breonna Taylor. We grieve for Ahmaud Arbery. I am also heartened and proud of those of you who are listening and learning. Listening is another effect, I would argue, of the downpour of the Spirit. As is speaking, the use of our voices. Now, one of the things I need to keep remembering... As a nine on the Enneagram, as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a writer, is to remember that my voice matters. There were multiple times this week where I wished someone else could have done the Pentecost sermon. I'm growing weary of online church. This is hard talking to a screen. I, I'm not educated or articulate enough to talk about white privilege or issues of diversity and race, race, but for some reason, I'm the guy this morning. And so here I am, I'm using my voice among you all for such a time as this, but I also feel compelled to take some moments to amplify some other voices this morning. The text goes on to say, your daughters will prophesy. I know it says our sons will too. And that's great. But in my opinion, we need to make extra effort to center the daughters among us. I recently started following a woman named Yvette Henry. Her handle if you want to check her out and follow her on the Instagram is uh, at Mrs. Melanin. That's all one word at Mrs. Melanin. Uh, She shared an image of her three kids the other day, which you all can look at while I read the words that accompany this picture It's about a week or so ago. So Yvette Henry says this. The truth is, I don't know. I don't know why people with my complexion should bring children with my complexion into this world as it is. I don't know when is the right time to have a conversation with my almost six year old and seven year old sons about being black in America. I don't know why I even have to debate with my husband about when is the right time to have aforementioned conversations. I don't know who to trust. I don't know why it feels like we've made absolutely no progress in America. Sometimes I don't know when America will be great again, or if it ever was, I don't know where to run, but I know I want to, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to impact change because it feels like anything I can do will not have a big enough impact. I don't know that raising boys to be men who reflect the character of God is enough to keep them alive. It's hard to breathe. It's hard to hope. It's hard, being black in America, it's hard. I wanna tell you that my faith is holding me up right now, but I'd be lying. I'm weary, I'm tired, I'm sad. My heart is breaking. I'm gonna allow myself to sit in this for a minute because I haven't been and I need to. Sometimes we need the prophetic word that reminds us to sit and grieve for a time. As Krista Tippett and many others have said, tending to our own sorrow and brokenness is part of the work of tending to the brokenness outside us. Now Tippett, Krista Tippett is of course another daughter who has been prophesying to many of us for a good while. Her studio, you may be aware, for the On Being podcast, is in the heart of Minneapolis, where so much of the unrest of the past week or so has been taking place. And in her letter this week, she says, The question of who we will be to each other has been surfacing ever more insistently across my conversations for over a decade. And its civilizational implications have now been laid bare in our economies, our politics, and our cultures. Will we create the the world, our children, all of our children deserve to inhabit. Will we structure our life together to honor the professions and the people we have now named as essential? However difficult the lockdown has been, this is the real hard work and it is ahead of us, life by life, community by community, day by day. Last slide of the tippet quote. The good news is none of us is alone in this. As you've also heard me say, I experience the far-flung landscape of on-being guests and listeners and friends as makers and keepers of the generative story of our time, which exists right alongside the better-publicized narrative of destruction and decay. The landscape of practical human care and moral imagination, of social creativity and courage and resistant joy, as Imani Perry puts it, has never sat more vividly alongside all the terrible news. Is there ever a time we don't need the spirit to help us name what is with such stark honesty to pose the hard and important questions, but then also to remind us we're not alone. That indeed there is abundant evidence of resistant joy alongside the often louder and more insistent narratives of hopelessness and despair. One more: another spirit-saturated daughter that has been a consistent prophetic voice in my life and that of others is my wife Terry. Terry uses <clears throat> her voice in many ways, but one way is through a simple hashtag she started a couple of years ago when our daughter was two and a half. And the hashtag, if you want to follow it, is books, not just about Caucasians. There's a little screenshot here of just some of the books that she's posted. It's almost a hundred now. It's just been so important to us that Adri sees herself in the books that we read to her. And I, I believe it's important for every child, every human to see beyond us and them to see that there's only we. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I believe this is a big part of how we need to experience Pentecost in our generation. The text says all. I believe the Spirit is inviting us to pay better attention, closer attention to the prophetic voices of our daughters and our sons. I believe a new world is possible as we find courage to step into the downpour and become saturated with God's very breath. The end of our text reminds us what part of stepping into the downpour requires of us. Verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now being saved doesn't simply mean going to heaven when we die. It means knowing God's power revealed in Jesus here and now it means experiencing salvation in all the ways we need saving calling on god's name reminds us we are not on our own in this that the work god invites us into is not just a human-centered enterprise that the spirit desires change more than we ever could so friends before we come to the table together receive this blessing for pentecost sunday may you have eyes to see the spirit that has been poured out on all people. And because that's true, that a new world is not only possible, it's coming. May you receive fresh energy and imagination to join God in the hard but necessary work of grieving and listening and learning and speaking. And may you find grace and courage to step into the downpour, to call on the name of Jesus, and to know we are not alone. Amen.